All right, Shabbat Shalom, everyone, and uh, welcome to our Sabbath service. We're going to be going over the Torah portion called Kitisa, which means when you take, or actually it also means when you elevate, when you lift up. And uh, the whole theme of this Sabbath service has been about the presence of God and about wanting to be in His presence and inviting the presence of God. And, and the thing is, is God fills this whole universe, but yet there's specific places where He said He would be. He said he wanted to dwell in the tabernacle made by men so he could be among his people. Moses had a tent of meeting that was set up outside of the camp prior to the tabernacle being built. And he would go out there just to be in the presence of God. He went up to Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, and right there was the presence of God. Now, uh, we have that choice whether we want to come into his presence. And whether we want to stay in his presence, uh, we have the right to come and go, to, to stay or to leave. And a lot of times people get into such a place in their life where they're like, God, where are you? Where were you when this happened? Hey, I've, I've been in the same place all along. I've been right here. You know, I'm not the one who moved. You moved. So when we don't feel God's presence or we don't experience God's presence, most of the time it's because we've moved from our position in his presence. And I'm reading this book. It was like written in the 1600s, and it is about this, this, um, this monk who basically he was the kitchen guy in the monastery you know very humble job very humble position he called himself brother lawrence so if you go to kindle you can find it i think you can get it for free on kindle but it's brother lawrence and it's practicing the presence yeah yeah you did you have a hard copy of it no i just had the little book okay yeah it was long practicing the presence of god yeah and, and the thing is, is it's about bringing God into every single aspect of your life. There's nothing trivial in your life, you know. Um, and I was trying to, to do that this week. You know, I mean, we think we include God in our lives, and we think we include Him in everything. But, you know, to be honest with you, I go to work, and I've got a routine. I know exactly what to do. I've been there long enough that, you know, I'm comfortable in my position. But, uh, you know, I need, even though I'm comfortable, I can't get too arrogant and cocky. You know, just like you, Mike, when, when you knew that the day was going bad or the night was going bad at the mill, and you said, Lord, you know, we need your help. We need your presence. We, you know, and you said things turned around after you acknowledged him. And the proverb says that if, if we acknowledge him and in all our ways acknowledge him, he will make our path straight. He will make the path clear. He made the path clear to you to slow down the, the line and to tweak things to make it a good night, you know. So uh, I've been saying, okay, Lord, I'm about to stock the milk. I know how to do this. I've done it a hundred times, but I need your help and I need your presence. You know what? I've got a big load coming. I got four pallets of a whole bunch of stuff coming in. I need your help to get this out. I need, I need to be in your presence. And it has, it's made a difference to include God, to just not say amen, but have a continual conversation with God throughout the entire day. But our Torah portion takes place in Exodus chapter 30, verse 11, and goes all the way to chapter 34, verse 35. So uh, I want to focus in on Exodus chapter 32, verses 15 through 18. But before we go any further, let's uh, um, have the blessing over the reading of the Torah. Baruch Adonai Hamvarak. Blessed is Adonai, the Blessed One. Baruch Adonai Hamvarak Leolam Vayed. Blessed is Adonai, the Blessed One, for all eternity. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Bakarbanu Mechoh HaAmim, V'neten Lanu Et Torato, Baruch Adonai, Noten HaTorah. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us from all peoples and gave us His Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. And as it says in Psalm 119, verse 18, Open my eyes 
that I might behold wondrous things out of your Torah. And I hope that's our prayer this afternoon. So in Exodus, Shmot, Exodus chapter 32, verses 15 through 18. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain. Okay, so he, he was there. He was there for 40 days, 40 nights. He was getting the two tablets, the 10 words, the, the 10 commandments. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on one and on the other. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There's a sound of war within the camp. But Moses said, mm, It's not the voice of the shout of victory, nor is it the voice of crying from defeat, but I hear the sound of singing. So when we think of Moses being on Mount Sinai receiving the law, we've always assumed or we always think or we always picture him being there alone by himself. But who does it say was with him? On Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. Joshua. Yeah, it was Joshua. Joshua was there. Now, he did not go into the dark cloud, the glory cloud, the presence of God. He probably stayed right outside it. But nobody else was allowed on the mountain. Nobody else was allowed near it. But yet Joshua went with him because Joshua was, you know, basically Moses' apprentice. So, like, when you get hired in a new job and uh, you have to learn what to do, um, what usually happens? They usually assign somebody to you and you shadow them, right? Now, when, when you got the job at the arena, did, you, did, somebody, did you shadow somebody? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But then, well, partly, and then partly I just was... Kind of thrown to the wolves. Yeah, that's, yeah same, same with me. Yeah, that's that when I started at the, the store, um, you know, I, I had a guy that, that I shadowed and he didn't say much. I just watched what he did. And then when he felt necessary, he explained things to me and then I was able to ask questions. But so we see that Joshua was Moses's shadow. He shadowed him. And, um, you know, Joshua, basically Joshua experienced everything that Moses experienced. Most of the time, when you read about Moses in the scripture, you can quietly assume that Joshua was either with him or very close by, you know, because he was going to be Moses' successor. So he had to learn the ropes. He had to know everything that Moses knew. You know, he, he, was, he had big shoes to fill, big sandals to fill, basically. So in, in Exodus chapter 33, verse 11, it calls Joshua Moses' servant. So, you know, he was his apprentice and Moses was his mentor. He kind of had the relationship with Moses as Elisha had with Elijah. You know, I mean, there was a school of the prophets and Elijah was kind of head of this school or series of satellite schools. And he would travel around to these different satellite prophet universities or whatever. And, you know, Elijah, Elisha was going to be Elijah's successor. So he had to know everything that, that Elijah knew. So he experienced most of the things that Elijah experienced. And as a result, even though Elijah is definitely more famous than Elisha, it's ironic that Elisha performed twice as many miracles, the identical miracles pretty much, that Elijah performed. So you also have Yeshua. He is our rabbi. He is our master. And he had Peter, James, and John. That was his inner circle. Just about everywhere Yeshua went, Peter, James, and John went with him. They were with him on the Mount of Transfiguration when, hey, Moses and Elijah show up, right? 
So um, in Exodus chapter 33, uh, verse 11, it says, So Adonai spoke with Moses face to face. In the Hebrew, this literally means mouth to mouth. Kind of reminds me of CPR, you know, mouth to mouth resuscitation or what, you know, and, and when you're in love with somebody and you show intimacy or affection, you usually kiss on the mouth. I mean, that's one of the most intimate ways to, to, to show love. So Adonai spoke with Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man did not leave the tent. Ooh, man, that just strikes me in such a powerful way. So this was pre-tabernacle. This was a tent, uh, it was called the Tent of Meeting. It was kind of a quasi semi-shrine, but it was very common for nomadic peoples to have a tent that they lived in and then a tent where they entertained guests to where they had their war meeting with their other tribal elders and leaders, where they had community leading, uh, uh, meetings where all the leaders would come. Uh, it was a place to entertain strangers, to entertain guests. It was a place of worship. So this was set just outside of the camp for privacy and, and intimacy and things like that. But here, Moses would have his time with God, and God would tell him, okay, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to tell the people. And then he would leave. And Joshua would stay behind. I wonder what Joshua did there. He probably just soaked in the presence of God. Maybe God said, all right, you heard what I said, Moses. Now it's, it's my time to teach you because you're going to be the next leader. And, and, and there's some things that you need to know. So maybe there was some sort of intimate relationship going on. You know? and, and I mean, there's things in, in the religious world that, that's expected. Right. You know, everybody expects you to, 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 to go to church or, you know, to read your Bible and pray and, you know, just do all these things that kind of define you as a believer or whatnot. And, you know, you show up at these events and, you know, nobody thinks anything about it. It's just kind of what's expected of you. But then there's people that aren't satisfied with that. They're like, you know what? It just just going to church or going to synagogue once or twice a week just doesn't cut it for me. You know, even doing the, the morning devotions with this little daily bread thing, it's all good, but it's like a spiritual breath mint. I, I need something more, more substantial, more, more sustaining. And you have people that just deep dive and dive in and they kind of go the extra mile. They're like, I want to experience the presence of God. I want to be in his presence. I want to be in it 24 seven. I want to know him more. I want to be intimate with him. I'm just not satisfied with this mundane run of the mill life and just doing what's expected of me. And it seemed like that Joshua wanted to go the extra mile. He wanted to, to, to go further and to go deeper. And I just pray that that's all of our heart's desire is that we want to learn more and we want to be more. And it kind of reminds me of the story that you tell me, Mike, of, of, of some of, you said, this is one of the most precious times in my young Christian experience is that time when you got the privilege, the privilege to take out other people's trash from the house of God, right? You know, you had the keys to the church. You would go there after hours, after dark. You would just turn on the little little lamp above the pulpit so nobody knew you were there. You would do your duties and take out the trash, and there would just be this feeling of euphoria almost saying, you know what, I'm cleansing God's house. I'm making it habitable for his presence. I'm making it nice and comfortable for his people. And it reminds me of that verse that, you know what, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. You know, I'd what did a doorkeeper do? You know, they were a servant. They washed people's feet. They did the most humiliating, humble jobs that you could do. You know, and I think of taking out the trash is the same way. But after you're done taking out the trash, then it was just you and God. 
You'd sing some songs, maybe listen to a little Mike Warnke. You know, you'd read some scripture and you'd be there and hours would pass by. But you would walk away knowing, knowing that you were in the presence of God. And it makes me think about Joshua. You know, I mean, what did he experience in that tent? Says Moses went away and kind of did his business, but you know, went about his business. But here Joshua was there, he stayed behind in the tent. And that part of that verse has always struck me. Now, I'll just read it again just for emphasis. So Adonai spoke with Moses face to face, as a man speaks with his friend. Then he would turn, return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not leave the tent. Kind of reminds me of Samuel too. Young boy, his mother gives him away, you know, to, for, to be trained by, by Eli and, and the other Levites. Where did he stay? He stayed in the sanctuary. He slept there. He heard the voice of God thinking it was Eli. Here I am. You know, no, it wasn't me. Go back to bed. You know, and so he experienced the presence at a, at a very young age. He experienced the presence of God. So um, in John chapter 14, verse 26, as well as chapter 16, verse 13, it talks about the Spirit of God instructing us and guiding us. That it's the, the Holy Spirit, that it's the Spirit of truth that guides us into all truth and all understanding. And we can only receive that and get that if we are in the presence of God. And so that should be our heart's desires to be in his presence, just as Joshua was in the presence of God. Even when Moses wasn't around, he was there worshiping God by himself. So Joshua was being groomed by Moses and God to be the next leader. I mean, what better teachers? What better teachers could you have? So in Exodus chapter 34, verse 9, it says, He said, If now, this is Moses speaking, If now I have found grace in your eyes, my Lord, let my Lord please go within our midst, even though this is a stiff-necked people. Pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your own inheritance. So this was after the big sin of the golden calf. It's one of the most tragic, one of the most mournful Torah portions and passages read during the year and read in Judaism just to remind us of the failure of the sin of the golden calf, you know. And uh, here Moses is, is pleading for, for God to forgive the people. And this is also part of the daily liturgy in the Jewish prayer books where we go over the uh, the 13 attributes of God. And this is what... what uh, you know, where, where Moses said, hey, look, you know, I want to be in your presence. Show me your face. And he's like, well, you know, Moses, no man can see my face and live, but I'll tell you what I'll do for you. I'll let you see my hinder parts. I'll let you see my backside. So we put him in the cleft of the rock. And that cleft of the rock is said to be that, that part of the rock that God scooped out to form the tablets to write the 10 words. And it's, it's also believed by the rabbis, this the cleft of the rock is the same place that Elijah ended up running to when he, was, when he was on the lamb from Jezebel, wanting to kill him after he slaughtered all the prophets of Baal. He says, oh, I'm the only prophet left, Lord. You know, he went back to Horeb. He went back to Sinai where the law was given, back to the cleft of the rock where that very law was taken from. And because he knew that that's where God's presence was. It's where God's presence dwelt. He wanted to experience, he needed to know, and he needed to hear from God's presence. So that's where Elijah went when his world got flipped up, turned upside down. Uh-oh, now I'm thinking, now everybody knows what I'm thinking of. My life got flipped, turned upside down. Fresh <laughs> prints, right? Okay. So, uh, so we, you know, there's a lot of allusions to uh, Elijah in this Torah portion as well. 
So we see here in chapter 34, verse 9, where, where Moses pleads, and he's like, we want, we want your presence to go with us. If your presence doesn't go with us, we're not going anywhere. We're, we're staying put. And Joshua, he, he kind of takes a cue from Moses, because in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, it says, Now it came about after the death of Moses. Now, nobody knows where Moses is buried. And it says that the Lord took him. And we don't really know how God ended his life. You know, but according to rabbinic tradition, because of that passage I read, that he went into the tent and, and, and Moses spoke with God face to face, as a man speaks with his friend, mouth to mouth, it literally is what the Hebrew says, that the Lord decided to take Moses' life by a kiss. I mean, how precious and how intimate, you know, how, how loving. And Moses died on his birthday. So that was, that was a great birthday gift, being in the presence of God on your birthday, right? So Joshua chapter 1, it says, Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of Adonai, that Adonai spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, saying, My servant Moses is dead. So now arise, you and all these people, and cross over this Jordan to the land that I'm giving to them, to Bnei Israel, that is the children of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads I am giving to you as I spoke to Moses from the wilderness and the Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates River, and to the land of the Hittites to the great sea towards the setting of the sun will be your territory. No one will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses. So I will be with you. And that's what the people want. When there's a new leader that, that, that just kind of breaks the mold. There's nobody that's going to be like Moses. Nobody. You know, there's nobody that was going to be like Elijah. And so when the second came along, you know, a sequel is never good as the original. A sequel is really never good as the first. But people are kind of down, okay, well, this Joshua guy. Okay, this Elisha guy. But God proved that he was with Joshua and was with Elisha just as much and just as powerfully and just as strongly as he was with the original leaders of Moses and Elijah. So he, he legitimized them and confirmed them. No one will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Kind of reminds me of what Yeshua said when he resurrected and he ascended. He said, and lo, he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world, even until the end of the age. So verse six, chazak, which means be strengthened, be strong, be strong, be strong. For you will lead this people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be very strong and resolute to observe diligently, making sure that you pay attention to all the dots of the I's and the cross of the T's and mind your P's and Q's, right? Diligently. Only if you be very strong and resolute to observe diligently my Torah, my law, my instructions, which Moses, my servant, commanded you to do. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. So you may be successful wherever you go. And then it says, this book of the Torah, this book of the law should not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will be successful. Have I not commanded you, Chazak, be strong? Do not be terrified or dismayed for Adonai your God is with you wherever you go. So just as Moses in Exodus chapter 34 verse 9 pleaded for God's presence to be with him, 
God assures Joshua, just as I was with Moses, yeah, my presence is going to go with you. I'm going to go with you. You have no reason to be afraid. And we read in our Torah portion how Moses was transformed. He was transformed in, in Exodus chapter 34, uh, beginning at verse uh, 29. Now it happened when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that his skin of his face was radiant because God had spoken with him. When Aaron and all B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, saw Moses, the skin of his face shone in rays. Now in Hebrew, this word rays means horns. Now I, I just got a book called the Dory Bible, and it's all the wood carvings and artistry of Gustav Dory, who uh, you know did some of the most iconic biblical art. And he portrays Moses with these rays of light coming out from that looks like horns coming out from the back of his head. Well, this is where we get it from. It's from this passage right here. So, uh, let's see. Lost my place here. That's what I did. That's what happens when I ramble. Uh, okay. But Moses called out to them. So Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all B'nai Israel came near, and he gave them all the mitzvot, all the commandments that Adonai had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. When Moses was done speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But when Moses went before Adonai so that he could speak with him, he took off the veil until he came out. When he came out to, to speak to the children of Israel, B'nai Israel, what he, what he was commanded, B'nai Israel saw the face of Moses that his skin glistened. So Moses put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with him. Moses was transformed by being in the presence of God. It, it, the, the rabbis say that, that God is like the sun and Moses was like the moon. Moses would reflect the glory of God, reflect the rays and reflect the light of God. And the reason that the children of Israel were freaking out because Moses was glowing, he was shining, is because of this whole principle of the shining ones. That's what the angels were called. They were called the shining ones. Supernatural beings were called shining ones. And even the fallen angels were called shining ones. So just as Moses was transfigured because he was in the presence of God, where else does God show up and somebody was transfigured? That was on Mount Hermon the Mount of Transfiguration during Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, when Yeshua and uh, Peter, James, and John were there. And all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah show up and God speaks from the glory cloud. And then it says that Jesus, uh, his, his, his face shone. And not only that, but his clothes glistened. I mean, better than any fuller could whiten them, right? You know, and better than any dry cleaner in, in the land. And so he was transfigured. Basically, Yeshua was sending out a message to the fallen realm saying, you call yourself the shining ones, you call yourself the sons of God, I am the son of God, and I am the light of the world, and your days are numbered. So God was showing that he had anointed and appointed uh, Yeshua, that Yeshua was the Messiah, that he was the true son of God. So we see this aspect of, of being transformed and changed when you're in the presence of God. Now, Joshua, he was, he was changed too. Um, and usually when there's a big change in the ancient world that came into your life, usually your name changed along with it. And that's still even held in Judaism today. Like if, like if somebody survives a terminal illness, they'll usually have their Hebrew name changed. And usually it's the Chaim. Chaim means life, you know, so they have a name change. And so here we read in um, Numbers, 
Numbers chapter 13, verse 16, it says, Moses gave Hoshea, son of Nun, the name Yehoshua, or Joshua. So Joshua's name was Hoshea at first, and Hoshea means salvation. But Yehoshua, or Yeshua, ooh, where do we hear that word at? What's that name? Yeshua, right. So if, if we were to call Jesus by his English, true English name, Jesus, we'd be calling him Joshua. And I'll tell you where Jesus came about. Jesus is actually a made-up name. And there's nothing wrong with that, nothing bad about that, nothing nefarious of the translators to try to hide the true name of Messiah. But there were so many Joshuas in, in the Bible. You had Joshua the high priest. You had Joshua son of Nun. You had all these other Joshuas. They didn't want to confuse the Joshuas. So to make the Messiah stand out, they took the Hebrew letters of Yeshua and transliterated them into Greek basically finding the equivalent Greek letters to match the Hebrew letters, and then, boom, you come up with the name Jesus, or Jesus, or Jesus, or whatever. So anyway, that's, so Joshua had his name changed to salvation, to Yehoshua, to God's salvation, basically saying that God's salvation is going to come through the leadership of Joshua. So there, there is a hint of transformation, where it was just Hoshea. I wonder when that name change took place. Was it after? Joshua had spent so much time in the tent of meeting after Moses departed, spending so much time in God's presence that Moses says, hey, hey, kid, there's something different about you. I can't call you Hoshea anymore. I'm going to have to call you Joshua, you know, because there's something there's something different about you. There's something that's changed about you. So do you simply follow the Lord like Aaron followed Moses? Aaron just followed Moses because, hey, it's my big brother. God appointed him as leader. I trust him, so I'm going to do what he says. Just simply doing what you're supposed to do, but there's no intimacy involved, right? Or are you like Joshua, who goes the extra mile? Now, Aaron may have obeyed, but the lack of intimacy, he gave into peer pressure. Because in the same Torah portion, we have Moses gone, absent, for 40 days. And he says, I'm going to be back after 40 days. So the rabbis think that the children of Israel kind of like messed up on the numbers here. Wait, wait, I, wait, I, I, looking at my sundial, I thought, I thought Moses should be back by now. He, he, he's late coming. Well, maybe he died. Maybe he just died on that mountain. We know he didn't take any water with him or any food. Nobody could survive that long. So they assumed he was dead. So, okay, Aaron, you're next in charge. You're, you're the next in line of secession. So what are we going to do here? Make us a God that we can worship. You know, so Aaron obeyed Moses, but there was no really intimacy there. And when the pressure was on, he gave in to the peer pressure. Because according to rabbinic tradition, her, which was one of the guys who held up Moses' arms in battle, that the people were just, were just, the control of the people was lost. And so they killed her when he tried to maintain order. And Aaron's like, oh, I don't want that to happen to me. I want to keep my skin. So I better do what these guys say. Beside, I need to, 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 to bide some time until Moses comes back. So the rabbis give Aaron the benefit of the doubt that he was just kind of biding time until Moses actually returned because he knew his brother's going to return. But yet he gave in to the peer pressure and he's like, oh, well, it's not my fault that they worship this golden calf. They just kind of gave me their earrings and I threw the, 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 the gold into the fire and out popped this calf. You know, I mean, what kind of reminds me of King Saul, you know? Where Samuel's like, all right, slaughter all these people and all the animals. Don't leave a soul. Don't leave anything. Don't take anything. 
And so here comes Samuel. Did you do what God said? Oh, yeah, we did exactly what God said. I took Agag as prisoner, and we, we slaughtered everything except for the best because we're going to sacrifice it to the Lord. No, 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 that's not what I said. That's not what the Lord said. Saul gave in to the peer pressure of the people. He was afraid of the reaction of the people. But not so with Joshua. Joshua not only obeyed, but there was intimacy there with not only Moses, but with God. And so when you're in the presence of God, you won't give in to peer pressure. When you're in the presence of God, you won't shrink back. I mean, yeah, you're going to be afraid because one of the definitions of courage is you have to stand up in the face of fear. So if you're not afraid, it's not true courage. Courage is standing up even when you're scared, right? Especially when you're scared. Courage is not the absence of fear. Yeah, courage is not the absence of fear. Well said. You know, so Joshua, we read that he was successful. He stood up against the people many a times when they wanted to do things that weren't right or what he knew that God didn't want him to do. But not so Aaron. Aaron was more of a placator where, you know, Joshua kind of followed in the footsteps of Moses and said, no, I'm putting my foot down and that's it, you know. So that's one of the reasons why we need to practice the presence of God. We need to spend time in the presence of God. Because if you don't spend time in the presence of God, all you got is a dead religion. That's all you have. And I'm not about dead religion. My religion is more than religion. My religion is a relationship with the true and living God, doing my best to be mindful of and living in his presence, not just obeying the rules he set out for me, but loving him, having a, a two-way conversation with God, hearing him, not just through his word, but through his spirit, through his impressions upon my heart and mind. And if we're going to survive these dark times, these perilous times that Paul said that we're going to be living in these last days, we're not going to survive with religion. We're not going to survive with a bunch of do's and don'ts. They're going to be helpful. They're going to be guidelines. But just to depend on those alone is not going to suffice. We need to be in the presence of God to make those commandments understandable and legible to our hearts and minds so that we just don't obey them out of a get out of hell free card mentality or motivation but we keep these commandments because we love God and we don't want to hurt his heart because we love him why because we spend time in his presence when I first met Pam I knew that I loved her I, I thought I loved her but after 25 plus years I love her even more than the first day I fell in love with her why because I've spent time with her because we've spent over 25 years together and I've grown to love her more and more and more. And that's the way it is with God. When you spend time in his word, you spend time in his presence, whether praise and worship, singing in your car, wherever you were. And you know, and it is creating that space where Moses had the tent of meeting and Joshua stayed behind in that tent of meeting, you know? And then we always talk about in the, in the New Testament world, our prayer closet, right? which is basically this, it's the talit, you know, that, that's what was known as a prayer closet back in the day. So it's finding that place. And, and to, to Jesus, that place of intimacy was the Mount of Olives. Every time he wanted to be alone with his father and wanted to connect and be intimate with his father, he would go to the Mount of Olives. It was his favorite, most favorite place. You know, one of my favorite places is, is the park in Plaster Rock. When nobody's there and I'm walking around the, 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 the lake there, Ralston Lake or whatever, just talking with God and exercising, you know, or just going out in the woods or being in nature. And I'm trying to find a place at work that I can steal away, that place that nobody goes to. You know, that could be my place, you know. Tofu corner. <laughs> yeah, maybe tofu corner. 
so that's what we need to do is we need to find that place of intimacy in our lives. A married couple has their bedroom, right? No, nobody goes in there. Nobody watches or spends time in there. Just the married couple for the purpose of intimacy, right? And so we need to find our place of intimacy with the Lord that nobody knows about, that nobody goes to. It's just him and I. It's kind of our little secret, you know, and it's our little retreat, just as the Mount of Olives was for Jesus, just as the, uh, the tent of meeting was for Joshua, you know, just as Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai was to Elijah. We need to find that place. We need to create that place in our life. Well, I'm too busy. Well, if you're too busy, then the problem is you're too busy. My wife told me one time, and I never forgot it. She's like, you make time for the things you think are important in your life. What you deem is important in your life, you make time for. Oh, I don't have time to read the Word of God. But did you catch that hockey game last night? Oh, you had time to watch hockey, but you didn't have time to read the Word of God? I'm not saying anything that there's anything wrong with hockey, but where's your priorities? You know what I'm saying? So you make time for what you deem is important. And I, <laughs> I deem my time with God so important that I'm willing to lose sleep over it. Because the crazy hours I work, I, I basically I'm gone for 10 hours. I come home, I'm exhausted. My mind and my body is in no shape to praise and worship and to read. I just go home, take a shower, eat, and go to sleep. So I have to get up early in the morning to spend time with God, and I love it because everybody, Pam's asleep, nobody's around, it's just me and God. And I spend that time with God before I go to work, and it sets the pace for my day. So that's what we need to do if we're going to be strong, if we're going to be like Joshua. So we need to spend time in the presence of God. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time together. I trust and believe that your Holy Spirit has spoken to each and every one of our hearts and has challenged us and motivated us in good ways to, to dive deeper into you and to press in uh, uh, more intimately into you and into your presence, Lord. Father, we love you and we praise you. And we ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Yevarecha ka Adonai vishmarecha. Yeer Adonai panav alecha veyekunaka. Yesa Adonai panav alecha v'yaseim lecha shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Hashem Yeshua Moshienu, in the name of Yeshua our Messiah. Amen. Shabbat shalom.